This is TDPS. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page, and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. How are you today, Mr. Eric Shaw Quinn? (laughs) Hi, Christopher. That's quite the greeting. <laughs> I had coffee almonds yesterday. Oh, yeah. Which, and they still haven't worn off. They have not worn off. And I just want to start off this. This is not the topic of our episode today. Didn't you want to eat a box of chocolate-covered espresso beans and, like, oh, lose more, your mind? Oh, more than once. More than once. But I used to be a coffee drinker. But I haven't been for some time. But I am no stranger to caffeine. I am not pure as the virgin snow over here, okay? So, like, I don't understand why the few times I do have espresso or coffee, it is like somebody has injected me with liquid cocaine. Like, I woke up ready to fight. That's how I woke up today. I was ready to fight. I hit the ground with my karate hands. Something to look forward to. (laughs) I just don't know what it's about. I was... um, doing some work on this podcast last night, which we were talking about, and I had been working a lot yesterday, so I thought, well, I had gotten these as a gift, this little bag of, I think the tagline... So it wouldn't would, count? Well, yeah, it's a gift. It doesn't count. <laughs> the tagline was, the first ones are free. The first ones are free. <laughs> yeah, a guy in a van pulled up next to the schoolyard where I was playing, uh-huh. and he said, try this, kid. Actually, the bag says, I've forgotten the brand name, so now you know this is not an influencer bit, um, take a kick in the nuts... That's actually their tagline, and uh, I think there's a cowboy with like his nuts getting kicked. That's by, really choice by yeah. a cup of coffee, apparently. So, so from those high tone almond growers. Yes, yeah, so white trash snack big gift baskets uh, sent to me by someone in my family. Charming, right now. charming, charming, charming. So anyway, you when you get sick of hearing me talk today, you just put your hand up and you throw that cup of tea right in my face because that's probably the only thing that's going to take me out. Well, I I. You know, then I could always take off my slip-on. <laughs> Are you wearing slip-ons? The ultimate—I always wear slip-ons. By the way, am I still the, my in, ultimate weapon? Am I still in trouble for what I said earlier when you walked into the studio? Oh, you are now because I had <laughs> forgotten about it until you brought it up. In fact, I'm trying to remember what you even said. <laughs> I said, hello, Mr. Penguin, because you came. It's raining here in L.A. today, which is, you know, a time of great trauma in Joy, our community. Joy personal Joy satisfaction for, you. for me. I'm just loving it. Joy for you, indeed. Yeah. So I came in, in my doing my Gene Kelly routine, and Christopher was here to piss in my Cheerios. I really, I guess I've just pointed out that it was more, you had your hood up, which I'm not used to seeing, because usually you embrace the rain with an umbrella. Well, my umbrella was in my bag because I was having to carry all of your presents... Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) I had to bring two bags, and so I didn't have a free hand. Yes, as you very well know, here at TDPS Presidents, Christopher and Eric, we record these shows in advance. And so while we already posted a show around our birthday time, it's actually our birthdays now during today's recording session. That's correct. So it's this weird sort of time warp. Shitty to Eric when he was bringing me gifts for my birthday. And they were lovely. I have them right here. They're Russell Stover candies. 
And um, a two and a half ton uh, box of ice cold peach fresca, which I have not had in some time because the anti aspartame people which I had got to carry to me. up the hill that leads up to um, Sunset Boulevard. And we, you know, this is in actually the rain. this is actually a really so good that he could <laughs> say shitty things about me as I walk through the door and try to interrupt you as you as you vented your pain over it, um, even though I'm the one that brought it up. I absolutely had forgotten it. Um, I liked I like to pick the scabs off. That was going to be the we went with TDPS, but originally it was going to be the Scab Pickers Podcast oh, oh, Network. Oh God! Oh my God! Don't ever say that again. Gross! Jesus Christ! Okay, so nose pickers would be fav- favorable, uh, preferable. To to that. Yes, but one of the gifts that you mentioned, great segue, relates back to something that I said to you on a previous podcast oh, no. that didn't go over very well. So this would be an amends, if you will, this little gift that I've gotten you. And so I'm going to ask you to open it right now, live on the pre-recorded podcast air here at the oh, Dinner God. Party Show yes. studios. <laughs> I'm going to open a present that's something you can't see me do at home. So we that love ought to this. be... This is great radio. This is like when Howard Stern had naked people on a show and you couldn't see them. All right. right. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a cardboard box. It's a cardboard box. He's opening it and it's a cup with his picture on it. And it says, Eric Shaw Quinn. Real actor. Real actor. Because this shithead, and I mean me, on a previous episode referred to Eric Shaw Quinn, who majored in theater at a prestigious university <laughs> and did extensive work in, in the theater world. I referred to him as a, quote, community theater guy. <laughs> and it did not go over very well. I had forgotten that. That was such an asshole thing to say. <laughs> it was terrible. Wow. I, and I didn't mean it the way it came out. I meant it like, you know, you're like me. You know, you did a lot of theater. But I, then I realized I didn't actually even finish college, much less major in theater as you did, and get a degree and work professionally it in it. go back in the same box. That's, well, that's so weird. so that you can never lose the cup. Or put it in storage because you don't really like it. You have to put the cup in your pantry or your cabinet, excuse me. Well, I think it's going to stay here at the office anyway, so. Oh, it is, is it? Because it's such an office cup. It is. It is. But you are Eric Shaw Quinn. That's so weird. A real actor. How does that happen? It happens to me all the time. Give it to me. Give it to me. Let me try. Let me try. Let me see if I can try. Oh. Oh. Oh, okay. (laughs) We just put it in. As if we were actually setting the cup on a table, ladies oh. and gentlemen. Yes, and then that, that changes yeah. everything. I'm, I'm glad you almost went there. I'm glad you almost went there. But down it really way. happens to me a lot at home when stuff comes in the mail and then you take it out and you look at it and you think, oh, okay, but I'll, you know, I'm going to keep it in this box. They send it to me in and then you try and put it back in the box and mm-hmm. it absolutely doesn't go back in the box. And no, it's like, absolutely. What? Well, how does that even happen? You know, there are all these Instagram and YouTube accounts where people unbox stuff, you know, where they open it up. They should have a reboxing. How the, how the fuck do you get that'll it back our, in the box? We'll have to add that. We're going to do that. We're going it's to buy be... stuff and try and put it back in the box on our TBS channel. Absolutely. <laughs> the reboxing channel with Christopher Rice and Derek Sharkwin. Okay, so we actually came up with a title for this episode. Unboxing Day, it could be called. And we could do it on Boxing Day, which is December 26th, right? It's... Subsequent to Christmas. You are such an Anglophile, and you don't know when Boxing Day I is? I honestly don't know offhand. I can't remember how it's I calculated. I think it's December It'll probably 26th. come to me, but I don't remember if it's if it's Epiphany-related or if it's just after Christmas. What is Epiphany? Epiphany is—a lot of people actually celebrate it as Christmas. It, I think it's 
two weeks following it's uh, following Christmas. I think it's, okay, it's so when following the, Christmas. It's when oh, it's out. Yeah, it's when the Magi got there. Got it. Because you know you can there follow was a star, no Uber. but not fast. Yeah, they didn't have Uber. Those stars, then. they yeah. don't move any faster than <laughs> they want to. Hundreds of millions of light years away, and so you can only get there as fast as the star is willing to go. It's not moving. Just follow it anyway. We'll get there. Yeah. Okay. So that the, the epiphany is the journey of the Magi. Is it from well, when it's they the started? arrival? The arrival of the Magi it took them. Like two weeks to sit down once I they got there? I think it actually took them longer than that. No, they arrived then. Mm, mm-hmm. He was already two weeks old. Okay. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So it was the, you know, the acknowledgement. And is it the season where they drape purple over stuff in Episcopal church? Because that's the limits of my contact with religion. I went to an Episcopal middle school. Well, not being Episcopal, I'm not going to speak for them, but it seems like purple has something to do with Easter, but I, honest yeah, to I God, right. don't have any, I just really, no religion has asked me to speak for them, and that's probably a good <laughs> thing. Welcome to another episode of the Ignorant of Religion podcast. The only thing that I've ever been asked is to, shh, that's shh. the only thing any religious group has ever said to me, shh. Because the loudest you ever laughed in a church was oh my when... God. Oh, my God. That was so... That was really... But that wasn't my fault. There was... It's not, but you should tell the story anyway. It's. It was Christmas time in Clinton, Louisiana, and we went to Mary Winniswall United Methodist Church because, I don't know, I guess they were the, the discombobulated Methodists, but we were the United <laughs> Methodists. I don't know what the difference is, but whatever. The chaotic Methodists right? were on the far side the of the drainage canal. Yeah. The social distancing Methodists. <laughs> um Anyway, um, yeah, we went, and it was a, it was for, it was a, the Christmas pageant, the mm-hmm. annual Christmas pageant. So it was a special night. I don't even think it was Sunday, maybe, but who knows? Yeah, um, yeah. Methodists are not the sort of people who just go to church any old time. Like they go for the prescribed time, and they'll get up and leave if you're if you go past. Because they're usually having a potluck, isn't or, that how it goes? They have There's other the plans. They're yeah. Methodists. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, mm, yeah, that's over now. Got to go. Um, we're not going to stay and have feelings about stuff. No. Mm-mm. Anyway, not so anybody can see. So the tradition was they did that. They did a, a sort of minimal staging in the sanctuary of that story about, I don't think it's called the gift of the Magi, but it's about the, the point in the story, the bells in the church won't ring and people keep giving and you get, unless you give the right gift and the king gives his crown and the rich man gives a bag of gold and everybody gives all these grand presents and these two little boys come and they just have one quarter between them because they're poor and, and they find this old woman in the snow and one of them stays to help her and the other one goes to put the quarter on the whatchamacallit and the bells ring and everybody's very moved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Including bitter, sophisticate at age eight, Eric Shaw Quinn right. in the third. Period. So yes, eight-year-old fourth grader of uh, Christopher Eric Shaw Quinn was <laughs> sitting in the in church, and the tradition was that the oldest member of the congregation read the story, and I can't remember her name, but she was up there reading the story, and I think it was her first year. I think the previous oldest one had gone on to uh, greener pageants, and. Um, 
she was up there, so she was a little nervous, and so she was doing that thing that people will sometimes do when they're speaking, where she you rock back and forth. Mm-hmm. So she was up at the pulpit. It was way up. It was elevated above everything. So mm-hmm. she was speaking to everybody. He's gesturing with an outstretched arm, ladies and gentlemen. Right. Yes. So it's way up above, and right next to it was this staircase that you know you would climb oh to get up to the whatchamacallit. So she rocks, and she rocks. And she's standing there, and she's telling the story, and then the papers are drifting through the air, and she's gone. <laughs> And then, like a pachinko machine, she comes rolling down the stairs, hits the altar, makes the turn, and comes down the rest of the stairs. Oh, my God. Smacks against the, the communion rail where everything is being staged and the crown and the bag of gold and all that other stuff fall oh, on the no. floor. Of course, everyone else in the church goes, <gasps> and I go, ah! Because you are a satanic child and always have been, she was okay. Yeah, right. She was fine. She was fine. She was she embarrassed was and would not even let people help her up because she was so she humiliated that she had done that on the altar of the church. She wouldn't let people help her no, up. No, she was like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Get away from me. Don't touch me. I'm fine. <laughs> Which only made and it funnier. That's and, why we can laugh today. And that's why I spent anything. the rest of the... Oh, no, I would have laughed just as hard. <laughs> but yes, that, and I spent the rest of the pageant in the car waiting for the beating that I was sure to get <laughs> when people had time and were you know more casually dressed. <laughs> Once they could get their shoes off. And their belts. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Well, it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast if we didn't spend it, the opening minutes of it, delighting in somebody else's misfortune, because that's the kind of bitches that we are. God bless her. Horrible people. Horrible, horrible people. Why are you friends with us? Oh, my God. So, we have at various junctures over our now 17 episodes. This is episode 17. Is it really? Yes. Well, we have discussed. The origins of TDPS presents Christopher and Eric, if you will. The origin story of this particular podcast, not of the TDPS network in general. Did we like fall out of space on meteorites we and did. get rescued by farm people in we did. Centerville? And we were raised as humans, which gave us the bad idea that we actually were humans. Oh, no. I never had that impression. Um, no, actually, it goes like this. Oh. About a year ago. Um, my good friends, Jillian Stein and Lauren Billings. Oh, right. This origin story. Yes. I had forgotten this. Right. They, Because um, I wasn't there and it doesn't involve me at all. That's, so, of course, well, I completely in, forgot it. It involves your podcast. So, you know, mm. we could you could find a self-interested <laughs> reason to pay attention. Um, <laughs> they were coming in town. They were actually coming in town to San Diego. And I love San Diego. I'll find any excuse to go to San Diego. In fact, I'm going to go to San Diego right now. I'm a little okay. bored. Um they were going to a live recording of a podcast called My Favorite Murder, which is hugely popular. We talk about them a lot here on our podcast. And I saw what they were doing, and I saw that it was just about the energy and the friendship right. between these two people. And I was like, Eric and I need to go back into the studio and do something because we're kind of funny, too. And, and we, we have, already have a studio. And we already have a studio. And it had been a while since we'd done anything with the dinner party show, but that was a very production-heavy live show that we did weekly on Sunday nights, and we weren't really in a place with our other work obligations to do that again. So we came back in. And frankly, not that many people had wanted us to do it in the first place. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a reference to the fact that we're always trying to build our numbers here at the TDPS.com. Com network or whatever the fuck and people it is. did listen to us like a podcast, but doing a live show was not a thing. We had a loyal group of wonderful people that we called the part. We call everybody who supports us the party people, but they would tune in every Sunday. But that group, um, it was hard for them to do that. That Sunday night, they had obligations, they had commitments, they yeah. had families. Listening live was not yeah, the, and it was not a premium because you know in this world of streaming, which we sort of predated a little bit, kind yeah. of. 
um, people like to listen on demand. And so we're glad to indulge you in that. Absolutely. So before we went to this live recording of My Favorite Murder, I told my friends Jillian and Liz my um, brush or about my brush with a very famous true crime case that a lot of people know very well, thanks in large part to a recent television series that was made about it. And um, so this is what they told me to do. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the home page, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. So Jillian and Liz explained to me that there was actually an element of my favorite murder that was participatory, and it was called the hometown. Oh right, I remember. So the rest of it is going to be covered by this email, which I am about to read. And feel free to jump in at any time, Eric Shawquin. It's a long one. It's a very long email. Uh, I'll just open some packages. (laughs) You just open some of your other gifts here on the table. Um, But so this is the email that I wrote to them. Fairly recently, but long enough that I now feel comfortable I'm sorry, what reading was the reason for writing them the email? You're going to find out. Oh, okay. It's actually in the email. I realized how comprehensive it was. I didn't want to start excerpting it. It's a comprehensive it's a, it's email. It's one, two, three pages, all right? So we'll three see. pages. We'll see. It's single space. Three pages. Okay. Hi, Karen. Hi, Georgia. And that's the hosts of... My favorite murder. Hello, Karen in Georgia. Hello, Karen in Georgia. First off, thanks to my good friends Jillian and Lauren for making me a murderino by bringing me to your live show in San Diego in early 2019. When I told them the following story, they insisted, I wrote in all capitals, that I raise my hand in the audience when it was time for a hometown. Now, a hometown is when you basically write into the show or in a live show, raise your hand so that you can tell them about your brush with an actual murder or crime Ooh. in your in your town. Okay, so you should read it very dramatically. I will, since this story basically takes place in the deep south and only sort of ends up in San Diego. Should I play banjo? I thought it was a stretch, so I did. I just want to hear you play banjo to see what happens. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go like that because no. you don't actually know how to play the banjo. No, I don't. Okay, so um. It ends in San Diego, but I still thought it was kind of a stretch to be a hometown, so I didn't raise my hand, which totally pissed off Jillian and Lauren. They're actually still kind of pissed off. As a result, they have not stopped asking me... It's probably other stuff. (laughs) They have not stopped asking me to email you this story in the over 12 months since my refusal. So here it is. In 1997, I was a young, newly out gay man living off my parents at their home in New Orleans. My mother was, and still is, the novelist Anne Rice, who wrote Interview with the Vampire. 
I had recently graduated high didn't school. Take long. <laughs> Two sentences. I was trying to get them to read the fucking email on their show, and I thought that would be an advantage, but apparently not because they, so still, they haven't still haven't read it. Read it? Well, no, they're they saving it up for their Halloween episode. <laughs> Absolutely. I had recently graduated high school and wasn't quite sure whether or not college was for me, mainly because I really enjoyed drinking, and it was actually a lot harder to drink on a college campus than it was in my hometown. Ah, New Orleans. (laughs) New Orleans really does make that easier. It really does. Every Memorial Day weekend, there was a very large dance party for gay men held several hours away in Pensacola, Florida. Dance party might be a misnomer as there was very little waltzing and a lot of sweaty shirtlessness and drug taking. Straight people call these raves. Gays, back then at least, called them circuit parties. Do they still do that? You know, I honestly don't know. If you were listening and you know whether or not circuit parties are still a thing for gay people. Well, I think they still have the white party, don't they? Yeah. But not, I don't know if there's a circuit anymore. I don't think there's you, just the one. There used to be one like every month. You these guys would fly to Montreal and they would be flying yeah. more. Halloween in New Orleans is, has gay parties that are considered part of it, but I don't you're right. I don't know if it actually adds up to a circuit. Anyway, back to your very anyway, back to my story. super dramatic story. Straight people call these okay, gays back then called them circuit parties. We covered that. That year I decided to attend with several friends. We'd made our reservations late and were forced to stay at a condo complex that was a good distance away from where all the other gays were staying. (laughs) Forced. We were actually in Perdido Beach and not (gasps) Pensacola. Shocking. This is key to the story, however, because this made us stick out. The area of Florida we were the area of Florida we were visiting is not so affectionately called the quote Redneck Riviera. So when my friend sauntered into the condo complex wearing a sarong and silver nail polish and emanating Versace cologne, needless to say, we turned some hetero heads. Foreshadowing. Fast forward to several weeks later. (laughs) My father and I are preparing to go somewhere in the middle of the day when suddenly I hear lots of footsteps downstairs. During this time in our lives, we had round-the-clock security working for us because my mother's books had put our home in the Garden District on the map tourist-wise. I'm in my room when I hear my father call up the stairs, Christopher, the FBI is here for you. As if we were expecting them for brunch or something. Or like that happens Oh, yeah. Like it was their just their afternoon visit. The FBI's here. Yeah. The guards later told me that the FBI agents had basically blown past them as they walked through the front gate, showing zero interest in explaining the purpose of their visit. My hands shaking, I walked downstairs to find two very FBI-looking agents waiting for me in the living room, which is to say they were white, had clipped mustaches, and had tucked their polo shirts into their jeans. I also vaguely remember braided belts. We all sat in the living room with my dad next to me. the country club FBI. (laughs) It was. It was like the Southern Southern Uh Regional Office or whatever. The Southern Country Club FBI. Okay. All right. We all sat in the living room with my dad next to me like he was there to size up potential suitors, or two of them. Did you recently stay at the Eden Condo (laughs) Complex? I'm to flee the country with you at a moment. Right. Did you recently stay at the Eden Condo Complex in Perdido Key, Florida? Were you forced to stay? Yes. Yes, I answered, suddenly wondering if I'd inadvertently killed someone at that stupid circuit party. I hate when that happens. Were you driving a green Lexus while you were there? Yes, I answered, suddenly wondering if I'd run over someone on the way home without realizing it. Were you in the company of this gentleman? And then, right there, in front of my father, they whip out a photograph of Andrew fucking Cunanan. He had his name legally changed to Andrew Andrew fucking Cunanan. Fucking 
Cunanan. At wow. this point, Andrew Cunanan had killed just about everyone he was going to except for Gianni Versace. And there'd even been rumors that he'd passed through New Orleans on his killing spree and received an HIV test at the No AIDS Task Force. But they were just rumors. That said, pundits were all over cable news speculating about whether or not the gay community was going to, quote, hide Andrew Cunanan as one of their own. Really? Yeah. And even my very straight father had been offended by these insinuations. Yeah, you remember this? Fuck yeah. As if we all thought this deranged tweaker monster was our mascot or something. Jesus. What happened next is what some of us like to call a teachable moment. Instead of simply saying no, I said... No, but my friend Dennis looks just like him. <laughs> oh, Christopher, uh-huh. you just can't help yourself, I just, can you? You I just can't just say no. just can't color in the lines just for law enforcement. Say just the one thing. Today, even though I'm a writer, I work on giving honest one-word answers to potentially complicated questions I'm posed you, by authority figures. We actually talk about this. Sadly, this was a skill I was sorely lacking in 1997. Because he hadn't met me for... I don't actually remember if my friend Dennis was questioned or investigated. What I do remember is that we later learned someone at the condo complex had called and reported us because we were visibly gay, driving a green Lexus, (laughs) and one of us, Dennis, sort of looked like a spree killer. Thankfully, is the, he F- the one with the sarong and the silver. No, they were two different. So, like the one who gave us away like is gays. Yeah, he the one he looked like a conservative sort of. You know, he looked like one of the fucking FBI agents' kids. That's what he looked oh, like. Okay. Um, thankfully, the FBI believed my answers and moved on. Honestly, if it wasn't for the car thing and Dennis's face, I might have blamed homophobia for the fact that we got reported. But I don't. What I also remember is that barely two months later, Andrew Cunanan murdered Gianni Versace in Miami. And for a brief moment, the FBI thought I might have gone on a beach vacation with him in between his murders. So that's my hometown. And then I said some nice things about their podcast. And if they want to hear it, they can read that on their podcast. So anyway. But you never met Andrew Cunanan. No. You just had a green Lexus. Never. Never met Andrew Cunanan. I had a green Lexus. And were gay. Yeah, and I don't think at the time he was moving through the. Well, there were the rumors about New Orleans, but I don't think yeah, they actually that tracked he was everywhere. Yeah, totally. That part I do remember. I don't remember the offensive part about us sheltering him. Like, what a stupid ass thing to say. I, um, there was a book. <laughs> we're just not that nice to each other. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Not a quality that we, um, But, like, can you imagine? Like, you can imagine, like, this is the 90s. It's not, it's better than it was before, but it's not great yet. There's no gay marriage, which you often talk about the role well, that plays. I've always said that if, if there's been such a thing as gay marriage back in those days, that Johnny Versace would still be alive. Because and, and, Andrew Cunanan would have gotten 50% of that man's uh, income, future income and, you know, property and what have you. Or he wouldn't have dumped him in the first place. Like, mm-hmm. it would have, you know, he would yeah. have been, he would not have been left in that destitute, angry, bitter kind of place that he was left in. I don't think that justifies his choices. No. but But I do think that that's what set him off. I think that was the inciting incident. Um, and gay marriage would have precluded at least the the destitution. I don't want to trash it. I thought there were things about it that were really interesting. But the um, American Crime Story take on this 
uh, case, even though it was based on the definitive book about the case, which is called Vulgar Favors yeah. by Maury North, who's a well-known Vanity Fair journalist. I thought their take on a lot of what I read in that book was unique and not suggested by the facts. A lot of what I read was more in line with what you said, which this is someone who, delusional, pathologically deluded, a pathological oh, liar, but very high, way higher and fucked up on drugs than they depicted him in the yeah. sh- in many at many instances yeah, in the show. Yeah, I was not a big fan. I and, thought it was kind of a it was a it was almost like a yeah. justification. Yeah, I, I, I well, it painted the older people in his life as almost consistently victims of his. And I'm not talking about the murder victims. Obviously, they're victims of his. But specifically, the older man he had a relationship who just sort of threw him over, you know, like was had been assaulted and victimized in all these ways. I don't remember that being as suggested by the book. And I don't think the show was as comprehensive in documenting how quickly his crystal meth addiction exploded and accelerated. It showed it as sort of developing slowly over the course of his spree. And a lot of some, the, some of the friends that they talked to said he was off the bend before he before the first murder. He was, you know, well, clearly he was going to be a person who was predisposed to have been, you know, that, as I said earlier, that's not your typical choice. No. You know, there are a lot of people who get dumped by their sugar daddy and end up having to flip burgers and live at a, you know, one bedroom apartment somewhere and not in the style to which they have become accustomed. Right. And they don't decide to go on a spree killing uh, trip across the country. Like that's not really typical. Mm-hmm. And and the the connection to Johnny Versace, which may or may not have happened, would have been very tangential. So that's that's really crazy yeah. to have seen himself as in any way connected to Johnny Versace was, I think, extreme. There was really no compelling that was, evidence that, that suggested they had ever met. Yeah. Well, I think my thought was he did the um, the sets for Turandot and Sugar Daddy took him to um, the opera in San Francisco when it opened and he... Um, met him at a party and shook his hand and said hello. Absolutely. And maybe the guy was nice to him. And that's as much as I can imagine would have been possible. Yeah. And my generation, that that young generation, I don't, I don't think it was that much. I don't think there was that much separating us in terms of years. I was in my beginning 20s or whatever. Gianni Versace was a big fucking deal. He was one of the few openly gay, unapologetically sexual celebrities at the time and successful and very successful and also a lot of his aesthetic had been captured in the Madonna sex book which if you were a young gay guy and you got your hands on that book that was your earliest jerk off material because there was stuff in there that was practically gay porn but but not fully and it was like Is this the, so you've heard uh, so I've heard I've, I've spoken to members of the community who told me no it was like that in the international mail catalog were under my bed for, for my, most of my high school years so like it, I, it's not a stretch to see someone in that <laughs> age group bed, by which by that he means on his bedside table no under the I meant under the bed I, I wasn't that I wasn't as courageous you as really you really did Eric keep Chuck, them under the, under the bed oh, oh. yeah absolutely Oh, that's sweet. Under the bed. I, I may have had Anne Rice as a mom, but I still kept him under the bed. Um, I don't. I'm saying is that I don't see it as much of a stretch that somebody of that era could have a totally irrational fixation on that figure. Well, if you were already, if there was already something broken, mm-hmm. you could, you know, attach yourself to somebody who's a stranger. I mean, there are people who, you know, stalkers of that guy who stalked. Um, 
Taylor Swift right. believed that they were either married or going to get married. The guy who broke into Sandra Bullock's house. Like, people develop fixations with public figures that don't exist, right. but convince themselves that they do in some weird, Absolutely. strange way. So, But, you know, I thought the thing that we could talk about about it is what it was like as gay people in that moment and what it's like even today when someone gets that much attention and people do say stupid things like that pundit said, like maybe the gay community is going to hide this person, what it feels like. Like in that moment when he was our media representation for a brief moment in time, for as long as it took to catch him or to corner him and get him to kill himself, he was the most famous gay person in America. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. So I guess that's right. For a minute, Andrew Cunanan really was the most famous gay person in America. I hadn't thought about it that way. Although, honestly, when he once he killed Versace, it really switched back. Mm-hmm. It really did become all about Johnny Versace after that. As it should have. You and, know? Yeah, because right. fuck Andrew Cunanan. Right. Like, crazy lunatic killer. Um, but yeah, I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way. I, I don't know. Did, did you have... I did stronger feelings about I, it at I mean, that moment. I, was, I guess I had more of an identity. I was growing. For, I was a lot older. Yeah, than you you were a lot older. You had more of an identity, and you had um, you had participated in some real struggles on behalf of the community. You would survive the AIDS epidemic and in other things, and kind of clawed your way out of some bigoted environments and situations. So, like, yeah, I was a young man who felt like this guy had become the first true gay celebrity in my lifetime you know, invented by this crime spree and the media attention that he was getting. And you were hearing people in mainstream media environments talk about you, it seemed, and who you were and the bars you went to and the places that you hung out as if you guys were exotic and, you know, this strange subculture. It was very, I, I thought it was very strange. And um, I thought it was, what is easy to forget about it was that because his personal connections to the earlier victims prior to Versace were not immediately and well-known, there seemed to be a crazy randomness to his killings. And so it seemed like someone who maybe was just murdering people he hooked up with. And then as the information got out, it was like, oh, there's a, there's a vendetta aspect to a lot of these killings. you know that, that But that emerged later. So at the time, it was very scary and confusing. But... You know, I I think this cuts to a, an issue that a lot of minority communities called representation. And it's often a function of how well you are represented throughout the culture at that time. Like if you want to have a gay villain on a TV show now, 
it's not as big a deal as it would have been, or it's not perceived as necessarily as hurtful as it would have been in, say, 1993, when there were almost no other gay characters on television. Yeah. Now you're having it in an era post-Will and Grace. You're, it's part of a menu of representation options for, for audience members. But at the time, you know, it's like there was no Pete Buttigieg. The idea of a, of a gay guy being a viable contender for the Democratic nomination would have been absurd to anybody you had proposed it to. So it was different, you know, and, and it was and I don't know if that series really brought back any of that for me. And I mean, the American Crime Story. I don't know Story. what that series was about. I yeah. really I, I watched it and, you know, and I, I saw that it was critically very acclaimed and I looked good and the performances were, you know, like whatever. But they were it was well done in, in terms of technically. Mm -hmm. But it was one of those experiences where I got to the end and I was like, huh, okay, well, that's not how I remember it and that doesn't seem like a very good telling of that. It didn't seem like a good telling of that story to me. Well, there were some kind of bold choices in it around how it was structured. If you haven't seen it, we're going to spoil it a little bit, but it's told backwards. They be, they begin with the murder of Versace and then steadily go backwards through the preceding crimes. And I guess the idea of that structure is to sort of show you the development of Andrew Cunanan's insanity and pathology. Well, that's what I mean about it seeming like it was a justification. Like, mm -hmm. as we get further and further back, the terrible things that were done to him somehow, like, how could he not have wound up doing this? And my point was like, well, I didn't, so yeah. fuck off. You know, like, I, I don't understand that. It was an odd choice for that. And then the sort of illusory connections to that were very unclear with Versace were, were I thought, a strange choice. It just seemed like a really – like if I was going to tell that – one of the things that I've been enjoying that you were kind of touching on a minute ago is that the mainstreaming of gay people in our culture. I really – I like that. Mm -hmm. Andrew Tobias, I think his name was, who wrote The Best Little Boy in the World – anonymously, millions of years ago, back when being gay was still that big a stigma, um, called it the ho-humming mm -hmm. of being gay. And I've always liked that idea that it's no big deal. Right. Like, sure, Pete ran for president because he's qualified and smart. Like, gay? Yeah, that too. But, like, that's not the main thing to know about him, you mm -hmm. know? Um, but at this point, because he's first, he'll always be right. um, the first guy. I Still, um... It um it 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 now is possible for somebody to be a villain and be gay and it not be the only gay in the village is not to feel as, like an assault as when as you villain. watch it right. as a gay person. It's yeah, like, God, I wish they'd depict us as something else. Like, right. I'm glad we don't all die at the end of the picture. Now that that was a real mm -hmm. step forward. Um, uh, but so in redoing this, I would love for them to have depicted him depicted him in a less um, I guess I'm going to say less favorable light. I don't mm -hmm. think they depicted him necessarily in a favorable light, but there was never a sense in the way that story was told for me that he was being addressed as the cold-blooded, psychotic. He was somehow like a victim himself. And I didn't see him in any way as being a victim of anyone but himself. Right. Um, I The series arrives at a point where they... I'm going to say they they don't just strongly suggest. They say, without evidence, that his father molested him. And there is not evidence of that today. 
in the existing body of research and journalism. And about I don't care Kanan. if he did. I mean, yeah. I care because that would be hard. It gets back thing, to what you said. You know, a like, lot of people are molested and they don't go on they spree don't killings. They don't go on spree killings. Yeah. None of those things makes that, like, it's, it's that sort of sense of, like, I really, I have the same problem with the Joker, the, mm-hmm. um, the, the um, Joaquin Phoenix movie recently. It's like, yeah, I'm, life's harsh. Got it. Yeah. I'm still not okay to shoot people in the head. I just, right. it's, I, I'm, I'm not really, it's not a plot thing that really turns me on. I, I get it. And it's a, you know, reasonable choice and whatever. And, yeah. but I, it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a little put off by it. So I would like for them to have been less favorable. Um, in the depiction, in the time period, it was, and it's one of the things that I think of now that we're on the other side of Doma and the failure of anybody to stand up for Prop 8, um, is for a long time, most of my life, it has been okay to just stand up and say whatever you want to about gay people. Mm-hmm. Just Whatever, and I've listened to politicians on the other side and on our side, and public figures and all kind of just say whatever they feel like it. Compare it to shoplifting and alcoholism and mm-hmm. everything. Blame the nine eleven attacks on mm-hmm. it. Every anything that people just happen to want to say, and we're finally arriving at a point where it's like, oh, that mm-hmm. was actually kind of. I'm still waiting for that sort of the reparations if you will the mm-hmm. you know the sort of like we're we're backtracking from it some and moving into a more mainstream kind of view of being gay but we are moving away. can you imagine the response today if somebody said in response to you know John Wayne Gacy turns up or Andrew Cunanan mm-hmm. or somebody saying well will the gay community you know shelter him and stand up for him and it's like no, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see any um, African-Americans out stumping for O.J. Simpson. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that's just not a thing. Like, mm-hmm. it's just it's not cool. And people would have a very different response. Mm-hmm. I think today. Absolutely. If somebody said it, I, I would love for Twitter that to would have been be part. right there to meet him. Twitter would be right there to meet him. I would love for that to have been part of the, the I the, think the, 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 the American Crime story. Yeah, I agree, and I, I, I just, I, I do want to add that you know, TV is a very collaborative art, as you and I know. Uh, just leave it right there. Um, we know that it's a very and Tom Rob Smith, who wrote all of the episodes, is actually a wonderful writer who also did something called London Spy, which you and I were huge God, I fans of. Show. So this is there were a lot of people making decisions about the show, not the least of which is Ryan Murphy, who produces the American Crime Story franchise, but. Um, for me, looking back on the story today, looking at the raw facts of what we know about him, the type that Andrew Cunanan was, the personality type, transcends sexuality. The fabulous, delusional um, guy who is constantly creating a glamorous, fantastic life for himself that doesn't really exist. You could probably find that among straight people who were friends of Brooke Astor, who we talked about on a previous episode. Of course. That's the point. It has nothing to do with it. It's sort of like um, the the, the tendency to, to... conflate being gay with wanting to have sex in public bathrooms or dress in leather or whatever. Yeah. Those things have nothing to do with being gay. You may be that and gay, yeah. but those things are not related. Right. They have nothing to do with each other. You may, in fact, want to have sex in public, but you're as likely to 
probably more likely, or at least numbers-wise, mm-hmm. more likely to be a straight person who does right. than a gay person. Those things are not connected. And I, and it certainly isn't connected that we're, you know, it's like all, um, all um, is, Islamic people are not terrorists. Yeah, no, you know? absolutely. Like only a very few. And probably, they're probably more um, Protestant white people terrorists. In the I world. saw a photo. This was so rich. I saw, you know, obviously, if you've been living under a rock, there's been a lot of coronavirus coverage lately in the media. And it was a photo of what was clearly a singles mixer at a retirement community in Florida uh-huh. with a bunch. And I've read other articles and seen news reports. Nobody fucks more than straight retired people in Florida. Apparently they not. have STD rates that are like off the charts because women have been through menopause. They don't have to worry about getting pregnant. People are widowed. People are divorced. They're all they're having the time of their lives yeah. and the time what's they got gonna left. Happen? They're going to die. Really? Wait five minutes. So after all of the sort of puritanical sermonizing I've heard over the years about HIV and gay sexuality and all this sort of stuff, here's this picture that they took a wide angle shot of all these white retired people. In his close assembly, shaking hands, hanging on each other, and it said, you know, basically old white retired people in Florida refuse to social distance in the wake of the coronavirus because that's how bad they want to fuck, <laughs> goddammit. So it reminded me of that thing you always say, what is it, there are 8 billion people in the world and, and gay, gay people, people have nothing, nothing to, to do, do with, with it. it. We yeah. did not invent sex just because we enjoy it a lot. Right, yeah. And we're not the most perverse out there either, mm-hmm. not even mm-hmm. by a long shot. I don't think we could hold a candle to what the Marquis de Sade was not gay. No, he you know, was not. I just it's it is a it is a it is and it is that conflation of notions. So the fact that the murderer was gay doesn't mean that gay people are murderers. You know, the fact that most people die in bed doesn't mean that bed being in bed is a deadly condition. So just, yeah, but in, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're feeling like the Ryan Murphy show put too much effort into trying to craft this narrative in which the gay community created Andrew Cronin as a killer. I wanted to see him mainstreamed more. Yeah, I wanted to see him more in terms of being the psychotic delusional lunatic who managed to sort of skate through society because of his looks and Mm -hmm. and a lot of other elements for as long as he did before he became a danger to other people. But he was probably as delusional and dangerous right along. See, the thing that fascinates me about stories like that is that that type of personality, while you can find it in other communities, can... um, victimize people in minority communities at an almost accelerated rate, right? If he's targeting closeted older men who are afraid, threatening them with exposure if they don't give him the and money he wants. And I'm not even wants. convinced that that was the case. Like, I'm I not think, necessarily, I but it's an interesting story. Yeah. father figures were, right. was who he seemed to be after. And he went after those boys who he had the delusional, um, maybe thought he was in a relationship with. Right, yeah. Um, in Michigan? Can't oh remember the... God! Yeah, no, it was somewhere in the Midwest. It was the guy he shot. Um, it would the, it the was, one he rolled up in the carpet. Yeah, he rolled up in the carpet. They were together for an with... extended period of time. Found out he was sleeping with his other friend. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that was really that was that's maybe the only real you know the rest of them. I'm not convinced. Yeah, yeah. you know, like the the guy in Philadelphia. Wasn't it Philadelphia? Um, he the Judith Light uh, no, Chicago. Chicago. That was Lee Miglin, who was a famous real estate developer. And yes, that seems to have had more to do with the connection to the sun. 
mm-hmm. than it does to the father. I was really, I, I was a little surprised a little... to see Maureen North stumping for the show because I felt, now I will, I will add a note here, I read the book a long time ago, but I thought, I wonder how she feels about the show because it's based on her book and there's some, there seem to be some liberties here. There seem to be some decisions made in areas that she left way gray, if you will. And I and that's what I remember around Lee Miglin in particular. Um, and but, he may have been having a longstanding affair with him, but it doesn't seem likely. And honestly, and I will give the show credit for this, what they did cover was law enforcement fucking blew it. Oh law enforcement God. didn't do again what was needed to again go into the again. community. They dismissed it. They didn't have resources and outreach. They weren't people weren't inclined to talk to them to begin with because they were cops. And that was that was probably the best job they did of depicting what it was like to be gay in America at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Was the in dealing with the sort of law enforcement dismissal of the whole thing. Absolutely. We every problem we had we brought on ourselves. Yeah, I, yeah. absolutely. Um I the, however, the interesting thing that Maury North did say during her interviews around the show was, I think if Andrew Cunanan was alive today, he probably wouldn't have killed all those people. He would have become an Instagram influencer. <laughs> Which I think you can take as either a, a diminishing of his crimes or a real slap at Instagram influencer. <laughs> and I would add to that fact on the balcony of the home that his husband, yeah. Sugar Daddy, had to buy for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, times have changed dramatically. They have changed dramatically. But I don't, you know, like, but he was still the same delusional psychopath, so who knows? Yeah. It is hard to say, but yeah, delusional psychopaths, you know, that's probably who planned the fire festival. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely, it is. I I think that we could do a true crime TV club about the fire festival. I think it qualifies as a a crime. (laughs) I think a lot of people got prosecuted for it. They did, yeah. So I think it would definitely be in that category god what a what a strange component of what we who we are today social media has become i, I really... i'm interested to see what it evolves into mm-hmm. you know because this is sort of the the very sort of beginning days the the right. infantile the uh the uh the the um amoeba not amoeba what's the uh the placenta days the What's the oh, baby it means beginning, and it has it sort of has to do. No, with... No, I just mean the child is is a embryo, a, an em, embryo, yes, embryonic. Thank it. you, embryonic. Brandon, our sound engineer in the Thank booth. Thank you, Brandon. Yes, the spoken to our ears. Very much in its embryonic stage, and I'm not. I'm really interested to see what it grows up to be in 50 years. You know, oh my I, God, do you, you really think it's embryonic? I'm looking at it and thinking, I don't know how much longer I can do social media. Well, Jesus it's sort Christ. of like the newspaper. You know what right. I mean? Like I, what the William Randolph Hearst era of the newspaper as compared with where the newspaper is now or right. the beginning of television as compared to the where television is now. Or, you know, I think it. I think those kinds of media don't go away over time. I think they transform from one thing into another. And I'm interested to see what that ultimately becomes. Right. Is it going to become more sort of uh, means of communication? or Because there's, no, there's not going to be going back and buying a TV spot on 
you know, the the number one rated show on the network where there are only three networks and 50 million Americans watch the show every week. Right. So you buy a spot and then they know about your pudding or mm-hmm. whatever it is you're trying to sell to them. That's over. So right. the, all of the necessities are still going to exist. So how is that going to evolve and what is it going to become? And yes, which ones of them are going to become the the MySpace of, right. you know, the, the future? I, I also, that's... MySpace still exists. I, I can't even I assume believe I that. still have an account. I couldn't take MySpace because it was all music. You would go to somebody's page and their choice in music would start blasting out of your screen. And I was like, this is driving me nuts. I don't want to hear everybody's favorite song. Well, you could click it. You could turn it I off. I know, but it, I would was forget annoying. to do that and it was annoying. And it I don't like being annoying. annoyed. It was very annoying. And it was one of those things where, but it was everything and then it was nothing. So yeah. I think some of the behemoths will disappear, but... I think the the part that it's playing in our culture won't, mm-hmm. and the means in which we are connected through digital means, I think, will evolve into to something. Else. You know, will the next serial killer be um, streamed live on Facebook? Well, you know what? I think that's what? actually a pretty good segue into teasing what we are going to talk about in our next episode. Really? Based on, yes, because... What are you going to talk about? True, what are we going to talk True about? Crime TV Club is coming back next week. Thank God. Yes, we're doing our thing, and let us know if this Love is working for you. We're TV doing Club. the alternating thing where we do... we One week, we on uh, one episode... We should do a survey. We should do a survey or something like a survey monkey thing on the Facebook page. This is just a reminder that if you're listening to us for the first time with this episode, go to the Facebook page for The Dinner Party Show, which is our flagship show, which is why our Facebook page is named for it. It's where we communicate with you guys. It's where we... Um, we ask you questions sometimes that when we discuss your answers here on the podcast, it's a great place to be in touch with us and to be one of our party people. And it is also be um, counted, be counted. But there was another thing. Oh, and uh, leave a five star review for us on the uh, platform of your choice, iTunes, Stitcher, Absolutely. whatever. And let us know what you think. Like, um, if, yeah. you know, like because we do the True Crime TV Club, but we also do like tonight where we just talk about what we're whatever talking the fuck about. we want well yeah but you know we we had a topic um so next week we are going to be discussing <laughs> our first episode Ish. of 48 hours we have done oh. the, if you're not if you're an international listener this these kind of things probably don't make any sense to you but the big true crime regular network shows here are 48 hours 2020 and dateline and we have done 2020 and dateline i think multiple times we have not yet done 48 hours. We're going to be doing an episode called Finding Yura, Y-U-R-A, Manhunt on the Dark Web. So it's the intersection of crime and the internet. Oh. It is um, available for free, we believe, on CBS.com and with a membership on CBS All Access. It's season 32, because the show's been around for quite a while. Forever. And it's episode 27. But uh, our usual reminder about True Crime TV Club, you are welcome to watch the episode if you would like, but it is not a requirement because our job here as the loquacious writers and mystery nuts that we are is to break down the episode for spoil you. Spoil the shit out of it. Spoil the shit out of it so that you can walk away impressing your friends with your knowledge about it, but you don't have to actually sit down and fucking watch yeah, it Yeah, I don't know if your friends are going to be that impressed. If your friends are anything like ours, <laughs> I found a friend who loves talking about true crime TV shows. His name's Eric Shaw right? Quinn. Oh my God. God, I do love them so. Absolutely. So that is going to be on next week's episode. Well, that's really exciting. And so that was your hometown. And you still haven't heard.
heard from Georgia and Karen. No, huh? no. Their podcast is, they might get like a million hometown emails a week now. But not from Anne Rice's son. I know. I really tried. I tried to get in there. But Jillian and Lauren believe that if I had raised my hand, I would have been called out of the audience. Because the person at the. Because you were the only guy there? I will tell you this I was one of maybe seven guys there. All of the heckling was being done by guys. Really? All of the fucking heckling. If I had gotten that microphone, I would have pointed that out and told them to shut the fuck up because Karen is a stand-up comic and she hates being heckled. And they do. you can listen to the live episodes. What kind of heckling did they do? Karen, Georgia, we love you. I mean, it's like, it's it's good-spirited, if you will, but it they, they serve booze at these things and a lot oh. of the people in the audience are wasted. Oh. But the girls, it's almost all girls, and they're not fucking heckling. I mean, it was like, Jesus Christ. It's like all the problems on airlines. Just stop serving liquor. Yeah, absolutely. Just stop getting them drunk, and all of these problems will go away. I don't know, though, because I think the majority of the people who are who are put into an arrested state by the liquor, they may, they might wake up and become more of a problem. Like, we may just be saying, no. okay, all right. It's not, no. We're going to do a whole episode if Eric ran an airline. <laughs> If Eric ran the world. If Eric that's not an episode. That's a podcast. That's a, that's a whole okay. that would that's have to whole. be a standalone podcast. Okay. All right. Well I look forward to that. All one. right, great. Eric, any final thoughts? I hate it when you ask me that question. <laughs> that's why I've thought I did about that it. time and again, and I really do hate that question. <laughs> you want to sum up everything for us in just three quick lines do, like Jerry Springer any... used to do on a show? But he got to think about it before. <laughs> That's the thing I hate. I don't mind answering the question. I hate being asked off the cuff to sum everything up without thinking about it. Because that's where you get stupid things like, and Mexico's going to pay for it. And Mexico's going to pay for the wall. Mexico's going to pay for our podcast. Um, so clearly Eric has no final thoughts. So we're going to have to wrap this shit up right here, right now. So that's it for us. That's huh? it for this episode. All right, then. Episode 17. We're marching towards 20. Soon it's going to be our 20th episode. Okay. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. This is TDPS.